my boundaries have never been stronger than they are today. It takes a long time and, and it takes consistency. And it, like you said, it's difficult to say no, but now they're just real strong. And to the point where sometimes I come off as rude to people and I have to be okay with it because I am trying to protect my mental stability, my soul, my physical health, which is all tied together. Today's secret leader is the brilliant Arlen Hamilton, the founder of Backstage Capital, a fund that invests in underestimated founders. Now, they're defined as women, people of colour and members of the LGBTQ community who together represent the biggest economic opportunity for investment around, which is perhaps why Arlen is so bullish on her opportunity to return a billion dollars plus to her investors. She released her book, About Damn Time, this year with Penguin to a lot of critical acclaim and is definitely seen as an inspiring hustler coming from a totally adjacent industry with no prior experience whatsoever to captivating the hearts and, most importantly, the capital from an increasing list of big-name investors who trust her decision-making to back the next generation of founders, most recently in the form of billionaire investor Mark Cuban, but presuming with many more on their way too. So, we're here to hear her story, So that's enough of an intro from me. It's now about damn time that we did our quickfire round. So, Arlen, blogging or investing? Investing. Okay. Being a publisher or tour manager? Oh, that's so difficult. Uh, Tour publisher. Backstage capital or backstage at a sold out concert? Backstage capital. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Alexander Hamilton or Arlen Hamilton? Uh, I'm going to say Arlen Hamilton, please. Thank you. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Uh, Trump or Biden? No, I'm just kidding. We know that the answer is Kamala Harris. Kamala, yeah, that's the right answer. And then stuck on a desert island for the rest of your life and you can take three things. So what are they? Oh, lifetime supply of Diet Coke, my uh, music, uh, access to my music and uh, a notebook and pen. Okay, great. Well, thank you for answering those. So to the story. Now, Arlen, for those that don't know you, please share your journey before becoming a a venture capitalist. Like, What were you up to? Give us some context in your history, your background, your industry. Go. Sure. Uh, So I was born in in Dallas, Texas, uh, about 40 years ago, about, and uh, worked, did a lot of like uh, bits and bobs, I guess that's not really how you use that term, but I I did a lot of little things here and there. Uh, and then I taught myself how to book tours for musicians, for indie musicians, uh, starting at 21. I booked full tours for them uh, with with no experience there and then tour managed. And then I built a music magazine uh, that turned into another type of magazine uh, for women who like women. So it was like a, an interview style magazine that was a print. Did that for a few years. Had a blog that had 50,000 people who read it every month. That was called Your Daily Lesbian Moment, which was uh, back then was pretty different because we didn't have a lot of representation back in the back in the day in the in the early 2000s. Uh, and then got back into touring, but this time at the arena level. And so while uh, you know before I would have been with garage bands and things like that, this time I was with people like Jason Derulo and um, uh, CeeLo and Tony Braxton and people of that nature at these arena level tours did something real I am as well uh, more recently. 
that was really awesome. It sounds like a lot of fun, which it was. It was like, you know, that's why it was hard for me to decide between uh, writing and being on tour. But it was like few and far between. The, the, the gigs were few and far between. So I'd have this amazing kind of two-month run, and then I'd be off the road for four months. And so that just wasn't very sustainable. Uh, but learned a ton. And through that, during that time, which would have been, you know, early two, 2010s, that's when I started learning about Silicon Valley and the startup world and the startup space. And, and it was that research in that time that kind of brought me to the last decade. Got it. Okay, so what made you want to get into venture capital in the first place? Because that's random from where you were, no? All of it's random though, heavy. You know, it's a, it's little themed because all of the things that I get into are about community. It's about building something from scratch, having moonshot ideas, going front into something that I hadn't put my feet into before, right? And then building community around that, whether that's local or global. And so it would have been around 30 or 31 where I was, I had reached the point where I was on these tours and these shows that I was so excited about, but again, was not really making ends meet. So I got curious about the startup world. I started seeing different people investing. I started seeing different people starting companies, and it was just a curiosity. As I learned more and more about it, I said, well, I want to start a, a company myself, most likely, um, kind of an offshoot of some things that I had piloted without even really knowing I was beta testing it before. And in that research, like, how do you start a company? How do you raise capital for it? Who are the players? What's, what is a tech-enabled company versus a tech company? You know, those types of things. I came across a statistic that said that 90% plus of all venture capital, the investment capital behind these companies, goes to white men in the United States. And I'm a gay black woman in Texas and not, you know, with, with not really networked in that world. And I just felt like, wow, that's a punch in the gut. That's a that's a slap in the pants or whatever, you know. You know, <laughs> it's a real. It threw me off, and it wasn't so shocking because I, I had lived in the world for thirty years. But it was just it was disappointing because I thought like, thought Silicon Valley was supposed to be the land of dreams. I thought it was supposed to be this place that was different and that had was forward thinking. And of course, diversity would have been the first thing they figured out, and, th and then everything else was about the hard stuff. Right. And so uh, disillusioned a bit. And instead of being really just kind of taken aback and just left there, I said, well, let's look at what a good solution would be. And I thought, well, what if it was like the opposite? What if a fund did the opposite? And it was a for profit sharky venture fund, but it only invested it invested the majority of its funds into these these companies led by underrepresented founders at the time. So that's what really got me into it. I, I decided to skip the company and just kind of move on to figuring out how to make backstage capital my, not only my company, but my um, kind of life's calling. And how long did that take from idea to calling, you know, calling feeling realized by sitting in an office day one being like, okay, it's happening. I would say probably three and a half years, uh, truly before I before I got a penny in investment. Because there are a lot of things you can bootstrap, and I do suggest you bootstrap as much as you can. But you can't really bootstrap a bootstrap a venture capital firm, even though I used to call myself the bootstrap VC, uh, because it's all capital. That's your product, right? So for three and a half years, I knocked on doors, figuratively and literally, and got turned away. And then it was in the September of 2015 where I got my first investment. 
If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. That first investor, how do they, you know, how's your relationship with that person now? I mean, that takes a huge amount of faith, right? And now you're a, a tour de force. Back then, you're just someone that someone believes in. We've kept in touch the entire time. Uh, I just we just texted each other last night because a, a, a ten minute uh, preview of our new documentary came out last night, and so and she's prominently in it, and so we texted yeah. back and forth. And you know, in some ways, five years ago was a lifetime, and some ways, five years ago was just a blink of an eye. And we both went through that together, and we kind of reflect on what she knew about me at the time and what she was sort of what she could know about me, you know, there's certain things she couldn't know. And then what I, how I saw it. And, and we both just like, it was literally last night, we just both reflected on, I said, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, even the hard, difficult things, because I believe in like the butterfly effect. And, and, and I believe that everything that even the most difficult things, people saying no, people, people bringing back, you know, money that they were going to invent all of that. Um, people laughing, everything, I think, sort of set up what this next decade is, is looking like it's going to turn out to be. I mean, we, we are kind of, we're kind of sitting on a, on a gold mine here. Completely agree. So just before we get on to the gold mine, what was the most common piece of feedback you received whilst fundraising that you think was fair, that you learned and improved on? Um, that I think was fair was that, you know, I was just coming out of nowhere and was really... I was the, I was a factor that was unknown, right? And, you know, I, I didn't believe when they said things like, you know, you're not networked enough or you're not connected enough. I thought that was BS. But I did respect the ones who said, you've got to really get, have your chops 
you know, figured out. And thankfully that was, no one could be more sure of that than myself. Like no one could be um, harder on me than I could be on myself. I'm going to be the one that's like studying every day and figuring things out and, and surpassing what the, the, the information that even people who went to school for this or have been in this for a while know. But I thought that was fair. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, fair when people say, you know, you haven't had a billion, a billion dollar exit. So I'm not going to be able to understand that you could do that. That's fair. My, my, my take on that is, is first of all, you have to start somewhere and let's just make sure we're not moving the goalpost and having double standards. And what do you think is unfair? Oh, when people would say and still do, you know, are black people and women or Latinx founders or LGBTQ founders who are all what we invest in, are they creating viable companies that should have venture back? You know, some of these are, you know, I got a lot of people saying, well, most people who are black founders, they're making like mom and pop shops or they're doing one offs or franchises. And I'm just like, it's so insulting. And it's almost like, you know that how ignorant they are because they're saying it out loud. It's not so. It's not the inner dialogue, uh, inner monologue. I was going to say that, yeah. So that I don't think is fair. I don't think it's fair to say they haven't in the past. So they, how could they in the future? When every single thing that Black people in the United States have ever worked for has been ripped from their hands, and sometimes their bloody hands has been taken, has been such a threat that it's been taken from them and and from us. And so to say that we somehow are sub, subordinate or, you know, subpar because we don't have these billion dollar companies yet, it's because we keep having to be reset every 50 years, every 20 years, we keep getting reset. And yet we still prevail. Uh, so I think that is really myopic. It's, it's delusional thinking. And what was the most common... Um investor that you would look up to during your journey were there people that you looked up to and thought I mean regardless of of color gender or anything you like the way that person did it that's how I want to do it I loved Brad Feld's vibe I liked his attraction I liked the way that he presented himself the way he gave so much information and left breadcrumbs for so many people and never really chased fame he chased sort of impact you know yeah and not even legacy because he has said out loud that he does not care about his legacy and what happens after he passes he he said that and i've told him it's it's too bad it's too late <laughs> you know you have a legacy <laughs> so he was someone that i looked at from afar and then today actually behind me on this bookshelf is a book a new book that i that he wrote that i actually am in that I wrote up a, a page or two of. And so that's an absolute full circle moment. Uh, so Brad Feld was certainly someone. And there were um, uh, Keisha Cash at Impact America. I was always chasing her because she's a black woman who built a $50 million fund that really wasn't getting the shine it should have. I just thought it was so pure. I know how difficult it is to raise. And I know how difficult it is to raise from institutional investors. Forget angel investors. That's hard enough. But institutional investors, um, for her to be able to do that, and and um, um, Sarah Paulson, um, who has recently been married, so I don't have her last name correct, but Sarah, you know, Paulson, she's at Reach Capital. She's another black woman who was there before me and has built something very, very incredible. Um, and yeah, so I, I watch I watch these people from afar for sure. And probably very nice you talk about full circle. Amazing to think about how many people would name check you in the same question now, right? I mean, 
obviously that's the benefit not just of having started and coming from an adjacent industry i mean there's a lot of different themes going on right it's not just the black lgbtq you know that's obviously very inspiring to a big group um obviously to me being a white man i don't pretend to uh try and get inside the skin of that but i love career reinvention like that's what i've done throughout my career and i love meeting people who go and do something totally different from what they were doing before and it's really interesting, like all the different angles that your story can take, the amount of people that you could bring into your story and your journey is is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I love, by the way, I love talking about things that are necess- aren't necessarily just right on the nose about diversity in tech. I think there's so much more to my story and to the story of the companies that we're investing in. It's almost to me as, as I'm looking at all these words in my head that I'm going to mispronounce. So... <laughs> I have benign, banal, and innocuous. <laughs> uh, but it's like that of um, of just saying we're a cloud investor. You know, we let's talk about the companies. Let's talk about the story. Like my story is crazy, you know. And I and I I, I agree and I appreciate that. Actually, it brings me on to one of the questions that we got from um, one of our our listeners. So she's a lady called June Angelides. It's worth saying she, like you, is a brilliant black venture capitalist. But she, one step ahead of you, she just got awarded what's called an MBE from the Queen, which is like a knighthood. Wow. Um, Wow. Very fancy. Wow. Um, I know that Obama's not our president. Oh, actually, he's still our president. So you hear that, Obama? Yeah, he's still everyone's president. We just pretend. Ah, yes, absolutely. There's no other president. Um, So, yeah, she she wrote in um, and she asked um, how you think about preparing founders you invest in for the next stages of funding. And do you act as a sponsor? And how can we get more allies on board and get them to stop seeing founders of color as an impact investment? Yeah, so we definitely at Backstage, you know, it's a small but mighty team now. We absolutely on a daily basis, I mean, before this conversation, after this conversation, the ne- the conversations are surrounding it are with founders. And we have 150 founders in our portfolio in a five-year period. It's it's very uh, a quick pace, but it's only 2% of what we see. We uh, spend, I would say, 30% or so of our time, which is a significant amount, on follow-on, on we are uh, kind of known within that circle of being able to syndicate rounds. And we, we not only prepare you, uh, prepare our companies for, you know, a lot of things that we can, as best we can, but we also bring the actionable, let's open up the Rolodex and let's bring people in. And it's, it's just a constant 24 seven thing that we're, it's just part of our DNA. Uh, but it's not all about money, right? So we have other things that we talk about, some things that are not in our lane, some things that are, that are, but we also have like a 500 person mentor sponsor uh, platform that is for our portfolio. And so at any given time, someone in our portfolio can reach out and say, I'm looking for help with X, Y, Z, and we can just connect them too, because we don't know uh, everything there is to know, of course. Uh, but that's just such an important part of this. It, we did, I did not, when I was alone, and we did not as a team, want to be a bridge to, no, to nowhere. That is not going to help anybody. It's, it's not going to be productive. So that's really important. Um, I think about, uh, you know, there's three parts to that question. So the thir- second part was, do I sponsor, which I think means mentor, right? It's the same thing. Um, so what I do is 
I put out a lot of free content. Like I put out, um, you know, I have more than a hundred episodes of my podcast, Your First Million, where that's part of the mentorship, the sponsorship. I have the book that's very accessible. It's, you know, you're, uh, it's about damn time, which I hope is mentorship in a box for everybody. I put out hundreds of hours of free content at backstagecapital.com slash green room for entrepreneurs. And then I also uh, consult do paid consulting for, for investors. And um, I have very openly talked about how 90% of my income now and in the future, the rest of my life, I will spend either giving away or investing into underrepresented people. But like to that point, obviously, you've got to be careful with your time management now. So the time invested in individual people, one to one with sponsoring and mentoring, um, and we get this a lot with our you know, high profile guests, you still have the same amount of time as everyone else. And within that time, you've got to make the right decisions on how you can scale your impact now so that you can deliver more returns to more people later. And if you get that mix wrong now by doing too much one-to-one, you won't get the opportunity to scale it. Is that something that you feel is, is basically hit the nail on the head? I see yeah, you nodding. Yeah, it's absolutely. And, and uh, you know, recently talked about this. Um, and that even what I just described to you is that, is the free content that I give out is at scale. So there's so much there. And not only am I doing that, I'm telling you, you know, whoever's listening, this is how I learned. This is how I got to where I am. So not like sort of relegating you to the free content and that's, you know, what you get. That's how I learn. And if you want to look at me as a case study, the best way to do it is to, is to, to look at that. Many times, I mean, I, I don't know how many, I think I get, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe a thousand I don't know at this point, it may be like 500, 600 messages a day. And a lot of those are requests. It may be even more than that at this point. I can't even keep up. Now I have a three-person team who's just dedicated to, to my part of backstage and my you know other six revenue streams that I have. I don't, uh, I get all kinds of messages from people who are very disappointed that I can't talk to them one-on-one. Or if I do talk to people one-on-one and I say, they say they want an hour and I say, okay, I'll give you 20 minutes because literally my voice will not do more because I have 20 phone calls that day because I'm doing calls that I planned three months earlier. I still get people that are just like so disappointed. I thought you would be different. Why can't you just do this for the kids? It's just one hour of your time. And it's, it's very interesting. Um, it's bound people in their boundaries are very interesting to me, but by and large, I think people get it. I think people understand that every moment of my existence is put into what impact can I have? And, and hopefully it helps you in some way, either directly or indirectly. I actually just interviewed, uh, do you know, James Clear from Atomic Habits? Yeah, I have that on my on my bookshelf here. I love James Clear. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, and I, I interviewed him and I asked him what the number one piece of advice he had, like the number one most high leverage um, habit to build. And he said saying no. And, and I've actually listened to that and tried to take it into action. It's unbelievably hard. I'm a people pleaser and I hate saying no, but... I completely understand, like it's impossible not to. And if you don't do that, then you will disappoint more people by doing bad work for the ones you should have said yes to well, if that makes sense. It's 100% true. And if you're if you're someone who needs like, I mean, think of it like being like a superhero and you need to like recharge. And if you give pieces of yourself away, that, that core part of you is is weakened. I think ultimately the people who want what's best for you and you want what's best for them, they get it. And 
That's why it's so important to take real accountability and take action yourself. Right now, listening to this, right, whoever's listening to this, this moment, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to start picking and choosing the things I'm going to listen to. I'm going to make a plan for the week. I'm going to, on Sunday, I'm going to read a book. You can have that control and getting me on the line might be helpful for 15 minutes and it might be really helpful for 15 minutes. It's pretty, I'm pretty good, but you're going to, it's the, it's the teaching the person to fish. It's the, every single day, you're the ones in the trenches. And that is literally why podcasts are so popular as well. I mean, I learned everything I needed to know about starting a podcast and then starting my new company through reading and podcasts. So it's just, it's a fallacy. And um, the amount of people that have learned to do things just on YouTube. I mean, it's a fallacy to think you need that one-to-one time. You just need um, the hustle to get on. And and can I just be, can I be frank here? I think what most people Please. are saying when they say, can I have a mentor? Most people, even if you don't admit it to yourself at the time, you're really asking for either money, you know, some investor, or you're asking for someone to fix something for you and do it for you. There are very few people, and including myself, you know, I'm, I'm not putting anybody, relegating anybody. There are very few people who really literally mean I want a mentor just to help me so recalibrate that in your mind. Be very honest with yourself. Have an honest conversation with yourself and say, what do you really mean when you're asking for mentorship? Okay, Arlen, what is the biggest buzz that you've had on your journey so far? Can you remember like a moment where you just felt like everything was going your way and you were really onto something? Uh, I can think of two things really quickly. One thing was truly, I mean, is as lame as some people may think it is, when I found out I was going to be on the cover of Fast Company, I couldn't afford Fast Company. It was like $7, and I couldn't afford that at the airport that I used to sleep in three years prior to getting on the cover of it. So it actually, I actually had like an out-of-body experience, and I thought, I just thought about myself younger, and I thought about all the sacrifices my mom made all those decades, and I thought, oh my goodness, like there's going to be a little black girl who sees this and she's going to start a company. Like that's what I thought immediately. So it was very overwhelming and and a wonderful experience. And it has continued to be uh, since that moment. And then there's smaller things like that are small to other people, but are just uh, my friends and my wife and everybody kind of laughs at me because they're like, you're more excited about this stuff than like getting a million dollars. So I, I learned very quickly, I, I at like Christmas and then it's like randomly throughout the year, I'll like do these giveaways on Twitter and I'll just say, hey, what will $300 help you do with your career? Like, is there some course you can take or something? And I'll just give away a few of these, right? And apparently someone who got that a couple years ago, like I had like a call with them six months later, I didn't know that they had gotten this. And, and apparently I gave them, like at Christmas, I gave them $500 on you know publicly and they were able to save uh, the the publishing company they had like the online um, journalist company they had and it was those few weeks that that gave them that attracted they had time to attract a hundred thousand dollar investor which kind of sent them and their small team out for like more than a year and she's like I don't know if you know that but that's what happened with that five hundred dollars and I just, I jumped up and down. I just thought, this is, this is what impact means to me. And it's almost easier for me to feel that and understand that than for me to feel and understand the, the bigger impact that I might have. 
Totally. I love that, by the way. Both of those um, and that first one about Fast Company gave me chills. Amazing. Um, so delighted for you. What's the best question you've never been asked about what you do? Because you, you do so much of this stuff, right? And I'm sure somewhere some idiot has never asked you the best question ever. So what is it? Let's ask you. Um, I don't know. I, they don't ask me enough about General Hospital, which is my favorite television program, which is a soap opera in the United States. They don't ask me enough about how that has to do with like my my self-care and my uh, like quality of life and then how that translates into great work which it does all of the answers yes it does that's a good question i don't i don't know <laughs> what about okay how about this one what do you what do you do to keep your mental health in check dinner hospital i knew you were gonna say that yes um my boundaries have never been stronger than they are today it takes a long time and it takes consistency and it, like you said it's difficult to say no but now they're just real strong and to the point where sometimes i come off as rude to people and i have to be okay with it because I am trying to protect my mental stability, my soul, my physical health, which is all tied together. I'm trying to protect the people that I am, you know, a caregiver to and the people that I might inspire or whomever. And I think that's the case for everybody. Everybody should be protecting themselves as if they're the queen of England. I think, you know what I mean? Like as if they're, Obama, they should be protecting themselves that way. Completely agree. I'm going to start wrapping up because I know we got to respect those boundaries too. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given by someone? I've been given a lot of great advice. Um, two pieces come to mind. One is from Therese Tucker, who is the pink haired 50 something CEO and founder of Blackline, which is a billion dollar company that was bootstrapped to that where she started the company in her 40s after being after leaving a company for sexual harassment, started from scratch and bootstrapped to a billion dollars. And she used to, she told me about how she used to have to ask her friend for money for payroll. And I was going through the same thing at the time she told me this. And I said, how did, you know, I was very sad. And I said, how did you do it? How did you ask? And she said, pride is not an asset. So that has helped me so much. She said, I, I picked up the phone and I called because pride is not an asset. It's not helping anybody. Uh, so that's been very helpful to me. The second one comes from my mother and we are not sure where it comes from exactly, but she said it to me on a road trip that we had. And this, uh, you know, it's, uh, I won't get too far into it, but she had, she had a couple of bouts with cancer. And um, this was when I thought it might not be going so well, but now she's doing great, by the way, she's really good. And we were on this road trip because she's trying to see all 50 states in the U.S. And so we were on a road trip to four of them or something like that. And it's, you know, I'm driving and she and she's telling me how proud she is of my work. And this is probably two years ago. And she said, you know, sometimes the uh, seed doesn't see the petal. And she was basically telling me that she might not see all of my work in fruition. And of course, I'm driving and crying. It's not a good combination. Um but what that helps me, and now again, she is doing very well, Mrs. Sims, and she helped with this scholarship, this Oxford scholarship that we both gave. The first scholarship at Oxford for a black scholar, my mother, Mrs. Erlene Sims, and I have put out there since last December, which is wow. very exciting. And it's just starting now, like the, the first student will go through. But the way I use that advice, even, you know, even more so than personal, is when I think about the work that we're all doing. 
sometimes it helps to, you know, we get frustrated because we're like, it's not moving fast enough. People aren't changing their minds fast enough. Things are not changing. But if you think about like the foundations and the things that you're doing for people you've never even met or people you may not even get to see when, um, that kind of actually gives me calm. I don't know if it helps other people, but it does give me like a calming sense of like everything we do, think about it long term. Don't think about it in the moment. And finally, and I mean, you almost just did it, but I'll squeeze you for one more. What is your best advice for people listening today who want to make a dent in the world like you and, you know, hopefully bring up more representation across the board? Yeah, that's it. Two things. Be authentically, ferociously yourself, like be be very protective of your uniqueness and be celebrate it. It's what got me here and it's uh, served me very well. And I think it would serve most people well because there's only one of you in the whole wide world. There's only one of you. Um, the other piece is going back to the last question, which is you're not always doing the thing for yourself. You're not always doing it for the people around you that you even think you're doing it for. Sometimes you're doing it for the person who you're, you're one day will be their ancestor that they call upon. I love it. That was really great. Thank you so much for your time, Arlen. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. I hope that we, by being criticized for doing something good and doing it for profit, we proved there was appetite for investing in companies that don't just put the profit motive first. If we are, for example, to accept a slightly lesser share of profit in exchange for a greater share of social good, a well-functioning system recognizes that that hit should lead to something else being given. That was an insight from our last live event before lockdown, where I actually couldn't attend because I had COVID way before it was trendy, which meant that former guest Alex DePledge stepped in to do my interviewing duties with the marvellous Alan DeBotton of the School of Life and Anne-Marie Huby of Just Giving, who discussed the pros and cons in for-profit versus not-for-profit businesses. Tune in or you'll miss out. This episode was brought to you by me, Dan Murray Serta. I encourage you to follow me on social at Dan Murray Serta for all sorts of stories on mental health and entrepreneurship. But we've also got our social channels at Secret Leaders back up and running now too. So go follow us there, particularly our brand new YouTube channel, where you'll be able to see interviews just like today's on video. If you enjoyed today's episode, screenshot and tag us to share the episode or tweet us. It means a lot. And if you really loved it, why not review us please too? It only takes a second. This episode was produced by Rich Martel, with editing done by Harry and Daniel at Lower Street Media, artwork by Christina Naru, and marketing support from Charlotte and Alicia at Mags Creative, and bringing it all together seamlessly, our newest team member, Will Stolomon, as the head of podcast. Thanks for the great teamwork, guys, and see you next week.